You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from our women's pastor, Lisa Mason. I wanted to begin, there's a song that um, has been ruminating, and probably because I'm listening to it many, many times, um, and it's Jesus is the center of it all. The worship team is actually going to be sharing it with you after I share the message, but I wanted to read the lyrics to you. They're very simple, and they're repetitive, but they're poignant. Jesus at the center of it all. And then it repeats, Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Because Jesus, you're the center. And everything revolves around you, Jesus. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. All hail King Jesus. And all hail the Lord of heaven and earth. All hail Jesus, the Savior of the world. For unto us a child was born. For unto us a son was given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed would have eternal life. Peace on earth. There is peace on earth. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do because Jesus, you're the center and everything revolves around you. Jesus, you, at the center of it all, at the center of it all. Very repetitive, but very true. And so this morning, well, I'm sharing about prayer, and it's a new year, and we have our 21 days of prayer and fasting coming that we look forward to. Or maybe some of us don't look forward to it because we know what he's asked us to fast from, you know, but we know it's going to be good. Um, I just wanted to, you know, begin with how do we make, how do I make Jesus the center? How do we make Jesus the center? And he replied in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, but this is also from Deuteronomy. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We're going to be sharing more but Lee did share, he lifted this up, these bookmarks that are available to all of you. On the back, you'll see that it says praying for 2021. We encourage you to list and pray for those in your sphere of influence that you would like to see come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the bottom, we just chose this scripture from Mark 519. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You'll hear more about this, but Jesus being the center will cause us to want to, on the back, there are 12 blank lines. Think of, and it doesn't have to be 12, you know, they say, and you'll hear more about this, there's usually five to 18, five to 15 in our spheres. Some of us during certain seasons have more, some of us have less, but people who we can pray for. Jesus being the center, will want us to burn for those people who he blesses us with in our lives. You know, praying for God to move through us, for his kingdom to be increased, our prayer reveals a lot about what we think on. It reveals a lot about where our hearts are. And prayer is often you will hear or you've thought or you've talked to people about it yourself, difficult. Most people will say at times prayer is difficult. 
And when asked, they may say that they struggle with certain aspects of prayer that they find very difficult. Even the Apostle Paul said this, I'm rephrasing it, paraphrasing it, but in Romans 8, he basically said, we don't know what we should pray for often. We don't know how to pray about so many different situations. So he encouraged us to be in the Spirit and let the Spirit pray through us. At times, we're confused about prayer, um, maybe even disturbed or even, might I add, perturbed at God. Um, we wouldn't necessarily say that, but with prayer, there's some, something extraordinary and apparent about the lack of relationship between cause and effect at times. And so even we might not just be confused, but emotion might come with it. Some things that we pray for don't happen. And some things that we don't pray for do happen. We've all experienced that. I'm going to read a few quotes. I love quotes. I love, you know, other people's words that are poignant. There, I have too many, but on prayer and uh, see if you can uh, relate to some of these things. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. That's by Max Lucado. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Corey Ten Boom, one of my all-time favorite heroines, said, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Mother Teresa had many quotes on prayer. She said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be the mightier the forces against evil. God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. E.M. Bounds, prayer makes a godly person and puts within them the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, end of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God, or else we'll quit praying. Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not fit, does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. D.L. Moody, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Dick Eastman is the author of The Hour That Changes the World. He said, in no other way can the believer become as fully involved with God's work, especially the work of world evangelism, as in intercessory prayer. When the prayer warrior intercedes, he forgets his personal need and focuses all his faith, all his prayer attention on others. To intercede is to meditate. It is to stand between a lost being and an almighty God, praying that this person will come to know about God and his salvation. E. Bauman said, search for a person who claims to have found Christ apart from someone else's prayer, and your search may go on forever. Edward Payson said, prayer is the first thing, the second thing, the third thing necessary to anyone who ministers. So dear brothers, pray, 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 and pray. Andrew Murray said, each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. 
Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. Last but not least, A.J. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. These are a few, maybe too many for a sermon, but I like them and I shared them, of the multitude of coined phrases or truths about prayer. But what will help us, what will truly be the rubber that meets the road, help us have a better prayer life? First, we must want a meaningful and more effective prayer life. We must desire it. And we need to be honest with ourselves because there are times when we don't desire it. We don't want it. But first, there's desire. And then second, action, pray. Prayer brings us closer to God and it opens our spirits to think his thoughts, to feel his concerns, to yield our wills to him, to become more like the prayer of all, Jesus. We need help to increase our desire to pray. And we want to increase in the discipline necessary to grow in our prayer, which then results in delight. Those are the three Ds. Desire, discipline, and delight. Like anything of great value, prayer takes great effort, it takes time, it takes tremendous care, and spirit-filled discipline to become like our Creator, to become closer to our Creator. The better we know God, the easier it is to trust Him. The more we trust Him, the easier it is to obey Him. Becoming more positively and vitally involved in the lives of others is what prayer will do. The more we open our communication with God becomes the more our lives can change and change for the better, to be more like him. It forces us to articulate our doctrine, our convictions, our theological assumptions. And when we speak to God, we're explicitly revealing who we believe he is, who we believe we are in him, and what his disposition is toward us why he has that disposition. I'll caveat here, if we don't know those things, it'll be obvious in our prayer. What we believe about God is revealed most truly not in what we say about him, but in how we approach him in prayer and in worship. So as we approach his teaching, the Lord's Prayer, on prayer, we should ask ourselves, we really should ask ourselves, how did Jesus' words correct any bad prayer habits that I've developed? How is Jesus challenging me in my prayer life and inviting me into a more God-glorifying pattern of prayer? Again, prayer reveals so much. It discloses our assumptions and our convictions it discloses our view of God in ourselves, as I've said. It discloses our priorities and our assumptions about what are God's priorities. It discloses our doctrines about God, about man, about sin, about redemption, about this world, and a plethora of other theological matters. If we want to know what a person believes, listen to what they pray. If we want to know what we believe, listen to what we pray. We, like the disciples, can go to Jesus, and we can ask him, teach us to pray. That's what they said. Jesus, teach us how to pray. The scriptures that Lee read and the ones that I'm referencing to are in Matthew, but it's also in Luke. You can find it in Luke. And many commentaries and theologians will say that the... Uh, Prayers were a bit different, but which shows that the Bible reveals that Jesus prayed that pattern many times, many ways, for many reasons. 
This is from his teaching on the Mount in Matthew. And the Sermon on the Mount is really his first and longest sermon. Jesus' first and his longest sermon was in the Sermon on the Mount. And that was Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So a lot of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount was about the kingdom of God. He taught, he preached, he shared, he lived, he breathed the kingdom of God. What does it look like? What is the kingdom of God? How does the kingdom of God work? He talks about what things are like for those who are in the kingdom of God. Their relationships, how they relate to one another, and so forth. He talked about values, about money, about material possessions, about worry, about the spiritual life, about good deeds or alms. You might have heard that, alms. About the whole area of prayer. And then in the middle is where he punches even more so on how to pray. He includes cautions. He includes corrections. He includes examples. And then he follows it, as Lee read in those scriptures, with fasting, with self-control, with self-denial. This, then, is how you should pray. Matthew 6, 9. And so this is why Christians, we pray the Lord's Prayer, because he told us to. It takes less than 20 seconds to actually read it out loud, but it takes a lifetime to learn. So for me to attack this on a sermon is kind of hopeless. There's no way anybody could cover all the matchless, amazing principles and truths and power that's in the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to take a few nuggets and, and just highlight them and have us remind ourselves. It's really just reminding ourselves of what he's said already. Most Christians, most of us, can rush through this prayer without learning it, but that misses the point. We miss the point entirely. It's central to our lives. The call to secret prayer doesn't necessarily mean silent prayer. So when the first part of the scriptures is talking about go in secret, it doesn't mean silent. There was a reason that Jesus taught that. The ancient world often prayed audibly, and they prayed in front of one another, and there was religious activity, and it boiled down to one thing, usually. There was standing, there's kneeling, there's prostrate, there's sitting. That doesn't really matter either. It isn't intended when Jesus says, don't pray like the Pharisees do. Don't pray like these people do. He wasn't saying that you can't do it and that you shouldn't do it. He was encouraging his disciples to avoid this, which we are his disciples. Avoid meaningless, repetitive prayers offered under the misconception that mere length or ritual or will or, or any action will make our prayers more effective, more worthwhile. The pattern given in verses 9 through 13 is worded in plural. It actually is corporate rather than private prayer in Matthew. For example, gatherings of prayer meetings. And that was regular. That was, they knew that. They did that regularly. Jesus assumes that his disciples will pray. He says when you pray, not if you pray, not maybe pray. He said when you pray. The issue is not the prayer, it's the motive. And it's the motive of the heart. It's not the what, it's the how, the who, the why. It's not the method or the frequency, but the attitude of faith which underlies and inspires prayer. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. This is interesting. If you look up the word hypocrite, it comes from a word related to the Greek theater. Putting on a mask. Putting on a front. Parading ourselves. Putting on an image. I know, if I'm going to be vulnerable with you, many times, even if I'm by myself, 
in that quiet place, and it does choke me up, I have my mask on, even with Jesus. How much more when I'm in front of somebody else? Jesus is saying, check your motive. Check the mask. And I know it's so many puns and so many things we can laugh about because mine's right there, you know, you're wearing your mask. But it is so relevant and unfortunately so true. The Pharisees did this. And Jesus warned us not to do this. We don't know each other's motives. And that isn't really our job. But Jesus knows. And so that goes back to Jesus be the center. Again, he's not condemning public prayer. But our pub- public prayer life should be an expression, an outflow, an overflow of what's happening privately. What's happening in that quiet place. Not necessarily silent again, but that time alone with him. And he's not condemning repetition, but he's condemning vain repetition. There is a difference. Without thinking about what we're praying, praying things that are idle or meaningless or mechanical, even sometimes quoting scripture in that mechanical way. Our hearts, our minds, they need to be engaged when we pray. And that's where we need to cry out to Jesus and say, help me. Help me. I don't even have a desire to pray. Or I have a desire to pray, but I'm forlorn because I see the mask. There are three clauses about God and his worship in the Lord's Prayer. His name, his kingdom, his will. I love this quote that was from one of the commentaries, and forgive me because I don't remember which one and I didn't write it down. If God doesn't need to be informed of our needs, why does he expect us to tell him about them? Christian spirituality has traditionally found the answer in a concept of prayer not as the communication of information, still less as a technique for getting things from God, but as the expression of the relationship of trust which follows from knowing God as Father. May your name be held in reverence. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, also on earth. This is similar to the Aramaic Kaddish prayer or doxology, which was already very regularly used and spoken and shared in the synagogue. And this was when Jesus was preaching during his ministry time. This opening address establishes the kind of God to whom we are praying to and to whom our prayers are offered. He is personal. He is caring. He cares about every single thing in your life. The Lord's Prayer pattern illustrates how such a relationship works. You know that the Muslims have 99 names for God. 99. But do you know that not one of them says Father? Real prayers start with God, not us. So this puts God at the center not us. And God, the creator of all, said, pray like this to the disciples, our Father. The Jewish congregation had been pretty much taught not to do that. Not to have that kind of a personable relationship. And here Jesus is our example because he said 
that he depended on God constantly, that his dependence is expressed in prayer. And this prayer encourages and a continuing dependence on God. God's name is a reflection of who he is. I did a study when I, I went through the Lord's Prayer when I was in college, and it was, could you not tarry one hour? Phenomenal study. It still isn't made because I shared it with a few people, and they looked it up online, and you can find almost anything online, and they found some old copies by Larry... I can't remember his name, Larry something, not Crab. Anyway, um, they went through the names. That was the first time I really learned the names of God. Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Makedesh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Rofi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rohi. Study to show ourselves approved. Study God's name so that we know who he is. The way Jesus addressed God is unique because Jesus is the unique son. But you know what? He called his disciples, which includes us, to share in the kingdom of heaven. That they now have entered into a relationship with the Father as well. We forget. We constantly forget. And we constantly need to be reminded that our souls can lean into the Father. The Sermon on the Mount refers to the Father 17 times, y'all. 17 times. That's a lot. What a privilege. What an honor. You know, I say this. I do a lot of walking. I walk a lot, especially during COVID. It's really great. I've done it for a long time, so it worked out well for me. But I meet with people by walking. So if you want to meet with me, probably going to walk with me. <laughs> I, can, I can do a slow pace. I can try to do a fast pace, but we can walk. It's an outdoor office, if you will. Do you know that I try to keep my phone at bay? I try to I take the phone or the iWatch, you know, but I'm not going to answer it if I'm with you and I'm focusing on you. But let me tell you something. There are four people who, really five, there are more, but who immediately, I will pick up that phone. And the main ones, their names are Daniel, now Missy, Xander, and Annie. Those are my kids. If those people call me, I might, if I'm with you, say, just a second. And I'm going to pick up that phone and say, you okay? How you doing? Now, they don't call. <laughs> Calling is kind of an archaic thing now. Everybody texts. But if they call, I'm going to pick up that phone. Now, Lee, too, if he'll call me, usually I'll pick up that phone. <laughs> Just saying. But it's our father. So anybody who's a mama, anybody who's a daddy, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, I'm looking here, some of you have children, adult children, who are not in town or not with you. Some are serving overseas. Some are doing different things. They call you, you're going to pick up that phone. Think about it. Jesus picks up that phone. Jesus, the second he hears Father, he's there for us. Now we're going to move into, well, I do want to say John 14, 6. I love that Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So first, with the Lord's Prayer, we must know him as Father. And that means we must be born again. And once we're born again, full access. The next part, hallowed be thy name. Hallowing the Father's name is praise preceding petition. We like to jump into prayer with petition. But he taught us praise before petition, hallowing his name. Every word that we utter in prayer, every idea, every concept that we form as we pray, every emotion that flows out of our heart, it's a reflection of what we believe about him and about his gospel, his good news. And Jesus is making a tremendously powerful theological point by beginning his prayer with the word, our our Father, 
we enter into that relationship not only with him, but with others. One of our greatest problems and deficiencies in prayer is that we begin with our own concerns, we begin with our own petitions, without regard, often, even for others, for our brothers and sisters. I think he's not only saying, start with praise, but think of others. There's a wonderful book, The Secret, Master Secrets of Prayer, that I love. Here's a neat thing. My prayer mentor, who I shared about earlier this year when I, when I preached, who passed away this last, in 2020, Miss Ann, what amazing woman. Her, one of her best friends, was married to the man who wrote this prayer. And that best friend is in her 90s. The husband was older. He's passed away, but master secrets of prayer. And he said in there, he had a whole chapter on praying for others before you pray for yourselves, that it's a good practice to have because it takes our eyes off ourselves. Is Jesus concerned with what's going on in your life? Absolutely. But there's something powerful about our Father who art in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. The Lord's prayer is for men and women who want to see the kingdoms of this world give way to the kingdom of our Lord. In scripture, the kingdom of God must be understood as something that's already here on earth, but not yet fully present. God's kingdom is made up of his people, those who believe in Christ Jesus, who gather in church, the church, churches, across the world, God's place, under the law of Christ, and partake in this new covenant, which is God's rule, God's blessing. Thus, while we're indeed in his kingdom, we still await God's kingdom in its fullness. We still await the coming of the king. We still await the destruction of wickedness. We long for the day when we'll no longer be a church that's in battle, Ephesians 6, if you will. But a church triumphant. It's his reign. His kingdom is for his people, for our good, for his glory. God's reign is a redemptive reign that transforms hearts. And he's referring to God's revealed will. He's asking the Father to reshape our hearts. He's praying, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Forfeit all of my personal claims of lordship and sovereignty in my life. No idols before him. A humble resignation to and a desire for the reign and the rule of God. No longer my will preeminent in my life. One of the reasons we must pray for God to advance his kingdom is because we, in and of ourselves, can't cause the kingdom to come. Only he can. Your kingdom come is us asking for something wonderful, but something dangerous all at the same time. The rapid disappearance of cultural Christianity in our time, progressive Christianity, recreating God, recreating his kingdom, recreating his word, creates an urgency. Here's what's interesting. Most of these books that I love about prayer talk about the urgency and talk about this. And they were written in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s. There's nothing new under the sun. This is a radical prayer. And we must not take it lightly, but as we've seen, the petition also carries great hope. So there's great hope while we pray radically. Then the prayer moves into personal petitions for needs. Bread or food daily for our needs, not our greeds. I 
didn't coin that, but I always have it written down. I need to pray for my needs, not my greeds, because my flesh is very greedy. Forgiveness of sin and deliverance from temptation. Give us today the bread we need for tomorrow and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Don't bring us into testing or temptations, but deliver us from evil. Rescue us from the evil one. Give us today our daily bread. This petition, give us today our daily bread, reminds us of our dependence on him. It's the most fundamental need of our life to eat. So food is, yes, very much what we pray for, but it represents many things. All of our needs, physical and spiritual, emotional and mental. Jesus highlights our regular dependence on God the Father, and he teaches us to pray our daily bread. It teaches us to depend on him, that he will provide for us, Jehovah Jireh, the God of all provision. At times, God may not provide for us the way that we think is best. How many understand that? Hello? <laughs> Can I hear an amen? <laughs> yeah. But we'll always find that he provides for us according to his infinite love, his infinite care. He will provide for your every need. Don't believe Satan's lies. No request is too big nor too small to present to God our Father. Now we come to and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. I've shared on forgiveness. It's something that I shared a lot about which gives me lots of opportunities for him to show me how I need that desperately in my life and lots of opportunities to do so. This prayer establishes that we are sinners and we are in need of forgiveness. Jesus teaches us not only that we have sinned, but also that we have the hope of forgiveness. And third, we see he is willing to forgive our sins. He is more than willing to forgive our sins. And this demonstrates the relational character of the kingdom of God. It's relational. It's with a person. But also with others. The extravagant mercy of God shows us in this petition that it should be on our lips and in our hearts daily, hourly, minutely, every second. When we recognize that we are debtors, then we see ourselves as we truly are. It's been coined beggars at the throne of grace. But what Jesus is affirming in these words is that when we experience God's forgiveness, we are fundamentally transformed into forgiving people. Forgiven people forgive. Unforgiving people don't recognize the forgiveness God has extended. Forgive us our debts emphasizes our most urgent spiritual need. We can only say these words and ask these things of God when we stand on the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. On the cross, on Golgotha. Jesus at the center of it all. This is our theological bedrock of the Lord's Prayer. And it's nothing less than the gospel of good news. We can only rightly pray the Lord's Prayer when we recognize that we are deeply sinful and only his grace can remedy our souls. And then it moves on. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, a lot of times, Lee even, not trying to point you out, babe, but Lee even said, and because um, we say this, I say it all the time, but deliver us from evil. But many, the NIV says, deliver us from the evil one, Satan. 
Lead us not into temptation. The devil and his demons, they're real. Oftentimes invisible enemies, but they are bent on destroying you and your spiritual life. Yet rarely do we meditate or live in the light of this truth. Asking to be delivered from sin and temptation is a cry that emerges only from the heart of a citizen of the kingdom of God. We desire to submit to the rule and the reign of God, not to the dominion of sin and to the kingdom of evil. The most dangerous thing that a Christian can ever do is believe that he is immune to temptation. If we at any point think that we're somehow freed up from fighting temptation, then we've both overestimated our own spiritual state or grossly underestimated our need for God's grace. God does not tempt his people, Satan does. We need to recognize, of course, that while God never tempts us, he may sometimes, sometimes it feels like often, test us to strengthen our faith, but will never tempt us. We will encounter temptation, we're promised it, Hello, you're promised it, just saying. But what we will do with temptation is what's important. This prayer underlies the fact that apart from God, we're just unstable and we're unable to resist it. The fight against sin is a lifelong struggle. But learning and leaning from and on the Lord for strength will enable us to overcome temptation and endure to the end. I fought the good fight of faith. We all have weaknesses, and the adversary knows them quite well and will try to exploit those weaknesses at every opportunity. We need the Lord's gracious hand to guide us away from that temptation at every turn. We must never entertain temptation. We must reject it. We must flee from it. Satan's influence is behind every attempt to turn a testing into a temptation to evil. So Jesus teaches his disciples, and then when he was 40 days in the desert, he lived it out very well, that they need to rely on God, on his truth, on his word, not only for physical endurance, but for moral triumph, for spiritual victory. This is where the word comes in. We must know the word. That's what we stand on. That's what we kneel on, the word of God. Because Jesus is the word. He taught his disciples that the best weapon against temptation is prayer, and prayer that is his word, the truth that sets us free. Then we come to the doxology. This is not in the scriptures but it's been added. It was added with King James. But it's worth repeating and worth talking about. It is profound. Theologically, it's really profound in such a short amount of time. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. His is the kingdom. I don't need to say anything more about that. There's something inevitably reciprocal, though, about the next part, that verse 14, that we like to pass over. For if you forgive men their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you too. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your Father forgive your offenses. This is a tough one. I did share about this the last time I shared about forgiveness. So I don't want to be repetitive, but it's worth repeating because it's placed strategically in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus, when the disciples asked him, how do we pray? He started and he ended. Only the forgiven will be forgiven. Those who ask for forgiveness must be forgiving people, whether the offenses concerned are past, present, or future. In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, the concern of these verses is with the disciples' response to those whose offenses against them 
They are to love, we are to love our enemies. The spirit open to receive love is of necessity open to bestow love. The person seeking forgiveness must first have taken forgiving action with respect to those who've sinned against them. That's from Matthew 25, 23 through 24. It's a good reminder. Debtors are forgiven, not the debts. Debtors. Offenses are activities in which other people really take action against us in some way. Forgiveness of such sin is not automatic. But Jesus does expect it from his people, from his kingdom. And he assures us that such forgiveness means that the forgiveness of God is certain. And it's not the act of forgiving, it's not that the act of forgiving merits an eternal reward, but rather it's evidence that the grace of God is at work in the forgiving person and that that same grace will bring him forgiveness in due course. It's important for the followers of Jesus, for us, because it's his nature. The nature of the offenses committed against them isn't what's important. This whole Lord's Prayer expresses God's trinity. The Father's creation and providence provides our bread. The Son's atonement, Jesus, secures our forgiveness. The Spirit's indwelling power assures our safety and our triumph. I'm going to close with a poem. And then we're going to read the Lord's Prayer, say the Lord's Prayer together. Now, some of you grew up saying trespasses and debts, so it's okay if, you know, some of you are going to say the, you know, the evil one or the one, you know, it's okay. But we're going to say it together and ask God to let us say it not in repetition, but with meaning. This is a a poem that I've had for years. I do know the author's name. I don't know her. Sharon Legou. I think it's French, but it has those U-E, U-X's. But Legou, Legou. Anyway, forgive me for not knowing. I cannot pray if. I cannot pray our if my faith has no room for others and their needs. I cannot pray, Father, if I do not demonstrate this relationship to God in my daily living. I cannot pray, who art in heaven, if all of my interests and pursuits are in earthly things. I cannot pray, hallowed be thy name, if I'm not striving for God's help, his strength to be holy. I cannot pray thy kingdom come if I am unwilling to accept God's rule in my life. I cannot pray thy will be done if I'm unwilling or resentful of having it in my life. I cannot pray in earth as it is in heaven unless I'm truly ready to give myself to God's service here and now, and I'll add completely holy. I cannot pray, give us this day our daily bread without expending honest effort for it or if I would withhold from my neighbor the bread I receive. I cannot pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us if I continue to harbor a grudge against someone, anyone, I cannot pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation if I deliberately choose to remain in a situation or situations where I'm likely to be tempted. I cannot pray, deliver us from evil if I'm not prepared to fight with my life and with my prayers. I cannot pray, thy kingdom come if I'm unwilling to obey the king of the kingdom. I cannot pray thine is the power and the glory if I'm seeking power for myself and my own glory first. And I cannot pray forever and ever 
If I'm too anxious about today's affairs, I cannot pray amen unless I honestly say, not my will, but thine be done. So God, let it be. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. And we're reading it from Matthew. So we'll pull it up. If the folks could pull it up, and those of you who are joining us online, you can pray it out loud too. And this is just going to be the Lord's Prayer. So if you guys will skip forward to verse 9, I believe. We got it. So this then is how we should pray. Church, let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you can say this part with me. It's not going to be up there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, we do humbly come before you. And we ask you that during this 2021 year, that we would see you in all your glory and acknowledge you as king, but also father. Have your way. Jesus, be the center of it all. We pray that nothing else would matter, that nothing in this world would do, because you are the center. You're from beginning to end. Your heart to the heavens. Jesus, be the center. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.